Hi, I'm Conan O'Brien, and you're watching Geekscape.net. Hey, Geekscapists, welcome to episode 204 of Geekscape, your weekly movies, video games, and comic podcast, where I'm joined, it's me, Jonathan London, over here on the uh, left side of the screen. Uh, I'm joined every week by somebody to talk about movies, video games, and comics, either the latest news, reviews, what happened that week. Uh, this week I've got David Wall. Did I pronounce that correctly? Mm-hmm. David Wall? Uh, he is the editor-in-chief over at Radical Publishing. They put out comic books. They have uh, all sorts of things going on. I mean, you guys work with some amazing creators over there, some of mm-hmm. my favorite creators. Did you guys do... Who, who did your um, Last Days of American Crime? Early, like, Rick uh, Remender. Remender. Yeah, he's a great guy. I'll, I'll literally read everything he writes. Mm. Well, we're going to be doing a new one... Uh, <laughs> They'll probably come out the beginning of next year, which is is pretty cool. And then you guys do like a Hercules book. You guys do you guys do science fiction. You guys do fantasy. The one thing that you guys aren't doing, because I think everybody else is doing, it, is superheroes. Is yeah, that right? exactly. Like, yeah. Our boss Barry Levine, like that's the the spiel that he tells everybody is like, we're we're a genre place, and mm-hmm. we we just enjoy good stories. But it would have to knock our socks off to be a superhero story. We're just we're averse to superhero stories. Uh, Rick Remender like has pitched to us. It's the biggest anti-superhero story of them all, and we're considering it. But that's pretty much the only way you could get in, is if it's some kind of... Something in the vein of martial law might be the only kind of superhero story that we would ever do. Like, something that really satirizes the whole business. Did you read John Arcudi's um, superhero book this past uh, summer? It was... uh, It's over there on my shelf. A God Somewhere. Hmm. And it was about a a normal... It was like... To me, it was the most... Psychologically accurate take of if someone got godlike powers among mm. us, in how they would snap instantaneously. The, the, their entire perspective of life would snap, and the and the importance of who we are would just go out the window. You would see everybody basically as bugs, and you'd start acting like it. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. You'd just start thinking of everybody as disposable things to use. Was it good? Phenomenal. It, horrifying. You know, and and the artwork treated the violence so graphically that you're just sitting there going, "Yep, that's what would happen to a human head if it was hit with that force." And it didn't pull any punches, which I thought was a, a really refreshing in its psychological horror. And reading it, I'll have um, to check it out. So maybe something like that, something fresh, is what you guys are looking for, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah something that is, uh, and it really, it's hard to believe this, right. but like even when I was at Top Cow, like one of the things we always wanted to do was. Look at it realistically. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have personally because uh, those women looked realistic. <laughs> I, I know women. I mean, here in LA, maybe it's realistic. They did. Well, <laughs> I mean, which well, place? Well, I've seen ladies like that. Well, I think yeah. that I think there was parts of it. You know, we, there was a fantastic <laughs> element to it that 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 we wanted to play out right. as well, obviously. But when it came to the the story and you know trying to figure out how a real person would relate, even even to the sense of mm-hmm. like the main character in Witchblade, Sarah, like. In the first issue, I remember uh, Mike Turner, uh, the artist, uh, I had her like as an undercover cop, mm-hmm. and, he, and he drew her in this Versace outfit. And at first, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this really isn't what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought she should be conservative and whatever. She and then a cop's paycheck. <laughs> right. But no, but actually, we kind of played that up even. Okay. That it was like a, it was a loner. But, but I realized I could just have her thinking, you know, how messed up is it that I'm in this outfit, you know? Who would have thought that that this is the way I look? And I tried to play with it, you know? Uh-huh. I knew that kind of the art, the artists there in general kind of realized that, you know, there's, like it or not, there's a group of people that really enjoy looking at that kind of artwork. The visual aesthetic too. Yes, it. and they'll, they'll... Or the uh, horniness. They'll, they'll, just the straight it's just some kind of, of combination. Of it, right. Yeah, and I think that you could put a good story in there too mm-hmm. and people will appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we tried to do. Like, once I saw that, that that was kind of what we were playing to. I mean, you look at a company today, like Zenoscope. You know, they do all the grim fairy tale stuff. Yes. They do these... Eric Basildu is a guy who we used to work with at Top Cow. Uh, he did books for us, and he does a lot of covers now. Um, every cover he does for them is just, like, you know, a sexy woman. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be, like, a special convention edition with, I mean, like... Even someone, like... With, like, Chicago, like, over her ass, you know, or something like, like that. I, like, I, I love... The X-Men books, I love Greg Land, his artwork, but it, well, I mean, I've said so on the show, it seems like every fight sequence starting a woman has them in poses that look nothing like a fight pose ever yeah. would. I mean, 
Uh, that stuff, it, yeah. that gets a little, I mean, it's kind of very stereotypical comic. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is, is, is your, your mantra was to put a substance behind it so that, yes, the attractiveness, the, the, the cake is what gets you guys in the door, but the substance there is what keeps you guys as subscribers. Because anybody can buy one comic based on style. But investing in a storyline, investing in characters, takes that, that, that sub-layered substance there that really carries it all and that is what yeah. you were saying with your and even we clothes. were yeah we were always surprised you know we, like everyone was like oh you know boy fantasy blah 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 yeah. but we had tons of, of of women readers i mean i was getting tons of mail i'd, I'd see them at every convention i mean mm -hmm. people you know there were the people who loved that and there were the people who looked past that mm -hmm. and and didn't care you know there was some small group of people who were offended when we did the Witchblade TV show, we tried to sell it to TNT, and we'd gone from meeting to meeting with the statue that Claiborne Moore made, mm -hmm. this like ultra sexy like Witchblade statue, and every person who saw it was like, ah, oh, that's great, you know, mm -hmm. I can visualize it. And then we went to this meeting, once it was bought, but it was like TNT and mm -hmm. Oliver Stone's company and Warner Brothers, all these people were involved, and there was this giant meeting, and they put the statue down as usual, and the head of TNT was this woman named Jude, Julie Weiss, oh boy. who was like, what is that? <laughs> That is not going into our show, you know. Right. So every once in a while, you'd you'd get someone who. Uh, what did she think she was buying? I don't know. I, I don't know what. No, no, no. Listen, listen. So some of the, I mean, it, uh, I talk to executives a lot, and some of them are just too busy, and some of them haven't seen the material until you're literally in the room. Yeah, they hear what people you know what are mean? telling like, them. They see so much. Although they had the trade they paperbacks, I mean, they had a good yeah. chance to look at it. But maybe not her. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and we'll segue into Sucker Punch because I think a lot of those themes of superficiality and sub in substance and image over style over play really well into the the movie of the week that we're going to talk about. But um, just the readers know who you are. I mean, you've already said you worked at Top Cow. You're now editor chief of Radical. What, what's your history? Okay, what, what, here's my what, history. I was born in New York City. <laughs> I uh, with loving parents. Okay. I told you before, my dad was a Yankee fan, and uh, I was a Red Sox fan. Um, I went to a school in New York called Hunter College High School, which is sort of like a gifted school that you had to take a test to get into. Did oh, you go with Peter yeah. Parker? No, no, not uh, Peter Parker. No, no th that was actually in Westchester that he went. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah oh. school for the gifted, Xavier's. <laughs> no, that, that, that's where you went. This no. one was in Manhattan. And, uh, oh, so it was Peter And the oh, only gifted Emma people... School. Uh, I'm, no, I'm I'll tell you, we had more gifted people than the X-Men. We'll we had we'll Young MC... Oh wow! Marvin Young was in my class in mm -hmm. our uh, our seventh grade, well, all the way up through twelfth grade. Um, Kyle Baker, who was a big uh, comic book artist, uh, yes, he was sir. before us. Uh, Chris Colet is this actor <coughs> who was in this movie, The Manhattan Project. A lot of talented artists. I'm not going to keep uh, name dropping. So gifted oh, artists. I know. And Cynthia Nixon from uh, Sex and the City was See, a year ahead of us. So you went to a school for like gifted artists, and in yourself, yourself was a writer, or it was mostly writing. Right. It was English, social <laughs> studies. They had these other schools like Bronx Science, different mm -hmm. schools that specialized in separate things. Mm -hmm. And you guys would get together and fight like the Warriors. Yes. It's a very <laughs> it New York a, thing to do. It was also a very. No one wanted to watch it because we <laughs> didn't want to hit each other. It was. It was terrible. We, Your we, school was like studying <laughs> tapes for me. We didn't, we didn't even, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you guys show up as the Jets. So, so did you start out interning in comics? Did you start yeah. out, what happened? So when I was a senior in high school, uh, they had these choices of different things you could do called ICY, intercollegiate year. Mm -hmm. You finished all your classes, you didn't really have to take much, like just college courses you could take. Um, and I wanted to be a lawyer, so they gave me a choice of three things. It was like the Village Voice. Um, this other small newspaper in New York, or Marvel Comics, oh. and um, and I wasn't really a huge comic fan. I had a friend Mark who like showed me like Fantastic Four and uh, X Men, you know, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix stuff. So it seemed fun. So I went in there and uh, became an intern, and I, I was good at it. You know, I was good at getting coffee for people. <laughs> it's weird. You think that it would be easy, right? But most of the interns who go there, because you know, you're not getting paid. It's like a high school thing. Like ninety percent of them mess it up, and yeah, the motivation. Like they're just thrown thing, out right. quickly. And but if you if you work, you know, if you just do a decent job at it, they'll just keep hiring you to do other things. And uh, so I basically just kind of moved up through the ranks there. I was an intern for Peter David, who uh, yeah, yeah. is a writer. But he back was, then he was in direct sales. Oh, he wasn't on the Hulk yet. No. Uh, while I was there interning was when he first started getting work. Uh, Jim mm -hmm. Owsley, this editor who I, I believe is now at DC, um, started giving him Spider-Man work. But oh, cool. So, and then I worked on, I got hired by Mark Grunewald, who is the editor of the mm -hmm. Avengers line, and also did Marvel Universe. And he was this really like anal retentive, continuity 
Maven. Like that's all he cared about. You know, was was the continuity. He was oh, a great so he, guy. So he's one of us. Within, yeah, <laughs> and he had a great sense of humor. Um, and and now so. Or that position, I should say. Oh, the continuity? Well, honestly, Every geek wants that position. Totally, honestly, like, he passed away. And oh, no. I don't think anyone... Well, Tom Brevoort, I think, probably yeah. now is the closest to that. Who also worked up from being an intern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he and I were sort of on the same trajectory, except... Um, well, I worked on Marvel Universe with Mark because I went to school full-time, and that was a good job that I could just keep coming in. And that's what really taught me about the Marvel Universe because we had to get action shots. That was my first job, was just to find <laughs> action shots. So, and there were certain artists who we knew were good at it. You know, okay. like John Romita Jr. was not good at it because he would show someone firing, and then the next panel you'd see someone getting hit. Yeah, Great I, I, artist. I, I think John Romita Jr. He's a phenomenal artist. I talked artist. to him a year ago at the kick at, uh, about Kick It!, the guy can draw anything. Yeah. Oh no, he's great. He may be the great, like the greatest comic book graphic artist. I love him. And the he fact that he's one of the very few guys. <laughs> I'm on two digressions now. He's one of the very few guys that um, changes with the times. Mm -hmm. You know, how many artists are there who, like, you could say every not every generation, but every decade, usually people kind of rise and fall and end up in some kind of niche spot. Mm -hmm. He never has. You know, every time the hottest books, he's part of them. You know, right. in one way or another. And so, so you had to find these these bigger guys. These uh, who who are the big artists? For me, John Byrne, yeah. Walt Simonson, and John Buscema were the best action shot guys. So like you had Silver Surfer, you know, shooting his thing, and then the same panel, someone was getting hit. Or John Byrne was great too. And that like I, I got a good sense of different artists at Marvel mm -hmm. from that. And also like at Marvel, you know, you could read everything. It's in drawers, like every book that. they ever had. So suddenly I got really into it. Okay, but. I kept having this wanderlust, so I kept like quitting and driving across the country and trying to become like a newspaper guy. Like it's as if comics were my calling, but I was refusing to accept right. it. So like marriage, kind of. If you're dating the that's girl, that's why for it took me a while. Time, right? I did. Like, my wife like, tells right. me that I you dated her for a long time and you didn't. Uh, well, to me, it wasn't that long. I mean, it was like four years. We're making this about you. <laughs> <laughs> you. You see what we're doing? We're, we're tying this all into. I do. I, I appreciate that. This is your life, David Wall. <laughs> This is your life, Geekscape. So every now, time, what, what do we have behind the door. Oh, <laughs> oh come on here. So every I'm your time, father, I haven't seen like, you in so twenty years. Tom Brevoort actually started after me, but he stayed the whole time, so right. he kept rising. Whereas I kept leaving and coming back. And and Tom DeFalco, who was our editor in chief, then didn't like that. He they, they like people who really. Yeah. I, I seemed like I wasn't that into it, even though when I was there, I was. You're the reason they fell into bankruptcy. I could if be. Only actually. they had you as there's. Well, actually, there was someone who said, uh, who's now a DC editor, mm -hmm. like the last time I quit, which was like 93, to go work at Top Cow, um, that it was like right after that, that, that Marvel kind of went oh, into yeah. their oh, long yeah. decline. I mean, obviously, they're not decline now, but, uh, but for a while at that point, so I kind of take credit that's for the, it. That's the only true example of going into bankruptcy that you actually see the company really take advantage of. Yeah, really reorganize really as they're supposed to. Well... Yeah. I mean, you do see some reorganizations. It's just none of it's that glamorous to us because we care about Marvel. You know what I mean? I've never seen a company come out stronger. I mean, I've seen them come out the same. Did you? I mean, do you pay a lot of attention to it? I do. You're always reading the business pages. My sister has worked for two companies that have gone bankrupt, and then the stores closed. You know, and they was there, there was an airline that did it that came out successful, right? I, I mean, I, I think oh, yeah. I think the real reason is that really once you're on the rock, like once you're on the ropes, it is just tough. Right, to get if back you're owing millions yeah. of dollars to people, yeah. and like all the money you make is going toward your debtors, then you'll you know you're going to fall apart. And in that situation, the toy company that, that is handling the licensing of, of your products then buys you, right. you know, which is crazy. <laughs> but Avi Arad now is a major part of it's still a major part of what Marvel is all about. You know, it was really like the man behind that resurgence into Hollywood. Yeah. You know. It seems like he's behind all those. So you worked at Top Cow, then... Oh, right. So, um, so basically, uh, while I was at Marvel, just one last thing. Yeah, uh, no, no eventually, I got to be an editor. Uh, I was an assistant for a long time because I would assist different people. And, um, and then I became an associate editor, so I actually edited books on my own. And, and I had this weird gamut of books, like NFL Super Pro, the That's NFL licensed book. book. Um, but to G.I. Joe and Hellraiser and, and like, like just this crazy eclectic line. Did you see Boone's that was re cool. like Hellraiser book? Yeah, but there, I think part of it is new and part of it's, it's like not. It's a prequel yeah, thing? Yeah, okay. sure. But I, I mean, I read the one by Leonardo Manco because he's one of our radical artists. Okay. Um, so that actually carved a relationship <laughs> with Clive Barker, who um, at various times I've worked with, it, it's strange. We keep kind of ending up working together again. Should marry him. Uh, I'm kidding. Maybe. He's stupid. a pretty cool guy. That was dumb. <laughs>
Um, anyway, oh. so then eventually uh, uh, I got to know, there was a letterer, uh, Mike Heisler, who used to work at, uh, at uh, Marvel, who ended up working at Homage Studios, uh, which is where Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee were. So he recommended to Mark that I go work with him. So then I started at Top Cow, and I was there for like 11 years. I mean, when we started, we were like four people, and uh, Mark and I would basically just create stuff together. It was like the coolest that time. Cool. From a creative standpoint, we would just sit by his pool in San Diego and come up with the darkness, you know? What would be cool to have this guy who could only live at night, who could create anything he wanted, but he had to visualize it. And you and Mark Silvestri just hanging out, because his X-Men books were like some of my favorite when I was growing up. He was such a creative guy. I mean, I think he wasn't, he didn't have so much fun working on those books, of because you know, the deadlines were so crazy, and the inking, <laughs> uh, I think at that point, you know, it, it took a while to get to a place where he was really happy with the art. You know, because the coloring is so simple back then. Iconic imagery. I mean, I mean, who doesn't remember Wolverine up on that X crucifix? And the cover with the the, the claw like holes in it. Awesome. But uh, but then at, at Top Cow, it was an interesting time because coloring was changing. Mm -hmm. Like comics were changing. Going digital. Or, yeah. Or when okay. I was at Marvel, you know, people would do these color guides. They had like different like twenty. I don't know anyone if people care about this or not. No. Uh, the, the color guides were. It was all twenty five percent, fifty percent, and hundred percent of a color. So like the color gray would be Y2, R2, B2, you know? Okay. And then people would like color with watercolor and indicate like every little color on the page. They'd send it to a guy who had these big, they called it ruby lith, and they, they used to cut out like little pieces and then they take all these things and put them all together over the art and then send it off to the printer. It was this crazy That's system. That's incredible. And they, we'd have these big film proofs <laughs> and stuff. And then at Top Cow suddenly, we were working with this guy, Joe Chido, who was an amazing artist who was coloring on the computer uh, and uh, so he was doing it for Jim Lee's Wildcats book and he was doing it for Mark's Cyberforce book and I remember meeting uh, old Marvel guys at conventions and then being like what do you how do you do it like that you yeah. know that's not going to last because they really only people had like people three, were going to do it the other way the intensity of their colors only had like three or four levels right so, yeah. it was a hugely limited <laughs> like there was maybe a total of 30 colors you know that that everything was to choose and from. You, see, you go back and see those books, and you know at the time there was no precedent, so you, so you're really reading those books, and, and it was normal. But now you go back. Yeah, there's nothing to compare it now to. Now you go back, and it's harsh. Yeah, it really is striking. I mean, just in ten years, fifteen years, what the computer's done to our work. Yeah, so it continues to do. Yeah, right. it's amazing. I mean, it's a whole different industry. I mean, like it's so much is digital now, mm -hmm. and like. Even like we met with printers a couple of days ago, and like the whole process is just so different in, in such a cool way. Like you could, whatever you see on the computer screen is closer and closer to how it's gonna, gonna match on the print. But so my life at Top Cow was, it was interesting, you know? I mean, the company grew at the beginning, our first books were selling a million copies, you know? We had this book, Codename Strike Force, that Brandon Peterson was the, was the writer yeah. and artist. Oh, actually, he was a co writer and the artist. Was that with like the all like the best stuff? Mark, was Mark that, and I were the writer. Was Codename Strike Force the one that had like members of like it had like Death Blow on it and had like members of the different oh, teams on no, it? No, that or, was that um, was over at, still over at Image. I think that was Death. <coughs> no, I think that one came later. Strike Force because we were still pretty split from them. Okay. Like we didn't we crossed over a little bit. We had this Deathmate thing with the what is it with Top Cow Wildstorm? What is it with the Death? I don't know. I remember Mark. We used to laugh about how it was kill. That had this character, Strike Force had a character named Kill Razor, uh -huh. you know, and then it was sort of like this limited amount of names you could. You guys are maybe so dark. Sub <laughs> maybe subconsciously, after leaving Marvel, they didn't think it was going to last long. Yeah, you guys so are so dark. Yeah, it was all very limited and nihilistic. <laughs> uh, do comics are so comics still so majorly dark? You know what I mean? Is it refreshing to see something like what what Marvel was doing with the Wizard of Oz books? Is it kind of light and for? I mean, is, do you think that's I, I, a, do you think that's a, a problem? The 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 darkness the, of comics, like the. I don't well, know. Like, I mean, I always feel like, like it, it, it kind of reflects the time, right? Because <laughs> if no one's reading the dark books, they're going to go away. Right. Okay. And that, that was always, because people would always accuse us of that, you know, even mm -hmm. at Top Cow, too. And it, we try to do other things. And right. maybe, maybe it's, it's how I was brought up, clearly, you know, is having an affinity for this dark stuff. But I think there's a whole group of people out there who like it, too. You know, I mean, there's a lot of great writers who, David Lapham, I love his writing, and, and he seems to be a dark kind of writer that's that first issue that first issue of stray bullets and i've said it on the show before is a perfect comic book that standalone first issue of stray bullets from dave laffham is perfect yeah <laughs> what an incredible crime i love story. working with him yeah. I, we work with him at radical on a couple of different projects i gotta get those books this one actually the first one he's doing is damaged which is coming out in august that's uh, uh sam worthington's uh, production company full clip 
uh, these guys, Michael Schwarz and John Schwarz, came up with this concept. It's, uh, it's very, very cool. I'm getting that book right there. We'll have it at San Diego. So I'm, we'll, I'm getting uh, that damage we'll book. Um, Leonardo <laughs> Manco is the artist. Scenario Radical Publishing, and, and if anything, Radical is, is kind of, has kind of looked at the future, the writing on the wall, the, the, the emergence of like technology and multimedia, and you guys are like, okay, this is going to be a place where creators can come. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. Creators can come and introduce their concepts through comic books, but also leave them open to games, movies, television. Really, yeah. you guys are, it's just a place to publish properties. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's seeing that, you know, Marvel and DC kind of hide it well, mm-hmm. that, you know, comics don't really make money, you know. Right. Even if it's a successful comic, I mean, the companies like Marvel and DC are the only ones that have those huge sellers that actually make money. Yeah. But they have such huge overhead that even those don't make money. I right. think they hide the fact that they're basically a licensed, an IP creator, just like anyone else is. And, you know, we've gotten kicked around at Radical as being, oh, you know, they're Hollywood, you know, people come in there and do but, it. But even but, Civil War, you guys all read the this, this Marvel Civil War, that, that sold 200, 300,000 copies. Much smaller than the one million you were just saying. Yeah, I mean the number one book book. I I saw in February sold eighty thousand. You could walk around Burbank and give a copy away to everybody, and you'd be done in a minute. Like (laughs) that's not a whole lot of people. Nah. And um and really over the grand scheme of things, you know that's only number one issues. You know the sales Mm kind of drop as it goes along. So uh, you you need to know that uh, obviously you want the books to be good because you want people to like them. And that's why we're working with guys like Rick Remender or Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. I mean, guys who are fans like them and they do good stories. But you, ha- you have to figure that there's some other life for it outside of comics. Mm-hmm. It may not have to be a movie. I mean, if, you, if we do 20 properties, the odds are 20 of them aren't going to become films. But, you know, the, making them into an app or like... A, a video game. Like Shrapnel. Yeah. Yeah, or like a, a, a game for, for, or a social media game. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of different things you could do. Um, wait, did I lose my train of thought? No. <laughs> I'm scared to uh, interject. Uh, no, you can, you can interject. I'll come back to it. I'd love to see Rick Remender's book, uh, The Last Days of American Crime. That's, yeah. it, right? I, that's like HBO series. Written all over it. We, like, I mean, well, it that's it one of the things we've talked I think it's yeah. going to end up being like a, an independent kind of film. Yeah. Uh, definitely, it, I don't think it could be a major Hollywood film. Oh, it's, I know what I was going to say. And it's tough as an ongoing because <laughs> it takes place, you know, with this ticking time bomb down to the switchover. Well, yeah, that's for why t- it fits. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, we're going to keep it in, the, in doing other stories too. What I was going to say was yes. the really interesting thing about publishing comics today in the year 2011 is that everywhere you go, people talk about how print is dying, you know, everything's digital, ebooks, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is, I was talking to a writer the other day, and he was telling me about what his checks are, you know, like in the digital space, and they're like zero, you know, they're like cents. So the, the funny part is, print is dying, but that's the majority of where things are right now. So it's really scary to think that you don't know what the world's going to be like in two years, you know? I mean, the, the whole Borders thing, you know, leads you to yeah. believe things are, like, plummeting really fast. I just fast. spent 60 bucks in Borders on, like, trade paperbacks just because it was going out of business. Well, I know my friends at Aspen bought, like, all, like comic rack, like racks <laughs> yeah. and things because they're selling them. And that's scary, you mm-hmm. know? But at the same time, the print business is still, like, over 90% of what people are selling, you know? It's, it's strange. Everyone acts like print is dead, and maybe it will be sooner than we know. But right now it's not. So comics are still selling. You know, people are still reading them. People are still buying them. People tend to think like, oh, maybe comics will be sort of like vinyl. You know, that they'll mm. that they'll, they'll always be a place. You know, the the physical. But vinyl really, you know, I mean, it's gone. How many vinyl shops yeah. are there? Fifty. <coughs> well, in, it's Silver Lake in the country. In Silver Lake, there are fifty. Alone. I'm sure there's a few. <laughs> I'll leave it out. Okay, then. Well, no, no, but but I think there's a resurgence of vinyl right. that's going on now. I, I wonder, like five years ago, I mean, because record stores weren't selling vinyl anymore. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, it, uh, it, consumerism will always find itself. Right. You know what I mean? So you're right. Water will seek its own level. But, and then at the same token, I don't think many people want to read a comic that's exactly like what you'd pick up digitally. Right. You know, some people do. And, uh, but, so I think that there's still, whatever that's going to be is being created right now. Mm And um, and I and think it our need goal to just be one thing, right? It's which is what you guys are doing radical. Yeah. A, it can go into a multitude of mediums. Yeah, it could be a play. 
like Spider-Man. You guys should do that as a play. You you should do a play based on what Last is your Days of Record Crime. No, what is your most violent book? Oh, do a play I, based have on to be Last Days of Record Crime. A Broadway show of Hotwire. Yeah, and just have like have like the first three rows like a Gallagher show. People have to like cover themselves because blood just spews out on everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I can guarantee I'll do better than Spider-Man. That's very cool. <laughs> well, hey, you know where to find me. They have the reanimator of the musical playing right now in LA. You hear that? And they have that. They they had it on the first two rows. They have the guards because you're going to get blood yeah. on you. Evil Dead, the Evil Dead play that was off Broadway. That one, they, they do that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. I, I really want to. Uh, the Broadway play that uh, Matt Parker, Trey Stone, and the Avenue Q guys did. Uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and the Avenue Q guys did. Uh, the Book of Mormon opened. I want I want to fly to New York just. To oh, see it's that open play. right now. It just opened last week. I got to see this play. Yeah, it that sounds awesome. Awesome. I think it opened. Friday. Uh, I'm sorry. You want to go see a Broadway show? I do, but but it's <laughs> the South week, Park guys. Last week you challenged me to man up, and this week you're coming down to my level. No, no, no. Look at what the Broadway show is. Look what the Broadway show it's is. True. It's it not, is the South Park. I mean, creators. it's only in technically a Broadway show. I don't yeah. think it's exactly. I'm not, like, I'm not inviting <laughs> you to go see Cats. Ooh. Although, <laughs> although it's got lots of pussy. In it. Okay, that's stupid. That's just stupid. Um, speaking of. Uh, I was literally about to. Oh, you've lost over here, huh? I was literally about to. I was was literally about to segue into Sucker Punch, saying, "Speaking of lots of, all right, Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. That's the movie that came out this weekend. It's the one that all the geeks were talking about. I would have seen it if uh, if I'd have known. No sweat, because honestly, Walton would say, "Please don't go see this movie." He hated it. He hated it. I would have if. That's actually kind of why I didn't email you. I didn't yeah. want to put anybody else no, through no. that. <laughs> he hated it. But me, I know I've got a job to do here on Geekscape. I need to tell you guys what my thoughts are on a, on a film. If only out of my own ego. Uh, but I'll pass it off as helping you guys out make choices. Um, I went in to see this movie yesterday. And I knew that Walton hated it. I knew that our writer, Ali Hanley, hated it. And I knew that on Rotten Tomatoes it had maybe a 22% or a 20%. Uh, and I said, you know what? No Zack Snyder movie had ever been close to perfect for me. I really, I did enjoy Watchmen, but basically, I, I enjoyed Watchmen out of the production accomplishment of what it was. It's an impossible film that he made somewhat possible, it's somewhat satisfying for me. Um, but for the rest of it, it, you know, there's some superficiality, style over substance. So the arguments have been made. Uh, I sit down to see the movie. I'm by myself, just my thoughts. Sometimes I like seeing movies like that. And it's a tough movie to get into. And I can see why people just bail early on this film. You start out with some slow-mo music video that lasts about 10 minutes of this girl, her mother dying, and she's left in the care. She and her younger daughter, uh, younger sister are left in the care of their stepdad who just cares about making the money from the will. So he's got to get rid of the two daughters. So he tries to rape one. The other one dies, whatever. It ends up with this girl getting sent to like a mental ward to be disposed of. In five days, she's going to get lobotomized because the warden and the stepdad have a handshake deal to get rid of her for some money. She's got to obviously get out before that happens. Her only escape comes through dance. Don't you all feel that way sometimes? Uh, so, so you find out that the warden is running this insane asylum, and already you're trying to you're starting to lose grasp of what's real in the world, what's not real in the world, because it's so overly stylized. Which I thought was nice. I like seeing the visuals. Again, like a music video or a video game. Um, which I think there's a place for. I, I liked it. Um, and I'm watching this movie, and I guess the warden's running the insane asylum full of girls, and they dance, and people come, and it becomes like a brothel. But they've got to dance to, to, for the guys to select them. And so you see this girl dance, right? Main girl. She dances, and when she dances, it puts the men into sort of a hypnosis. She enters a fantasy world. In the fantasy world, she meets Scott Glenn, which is fantastic. Uh, you know. He's a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? The guy was in the right stuff. I like him. Um, so it meets Scott Glenn, and Scott Glenn says, you got to get these items. She tells the rest of the dancers, listen, I had a vision. The girls are like, when you were dancing, everybody was hypnotized. Okay, while I'm dancing, they devise this plot. While I'm dancing, each of you guys steal these items that I need. A key, a map, a fire. And then we'll use those items to escape from the thing. Yeah, it has much room for plot holes. Yes, it's not the most exact, complicated, intricate storyline. Yes, it doesn't have the most depth. Is it clear? Yes. Is it fine? 
Yes. Does it work with the language that's already been told to us in the first 15 minutes? And like, how dare you guys for expecting more? You've been told what the movie is. It's been given to you on a platter. It's some of the most obvious storytelling that you, you're going to see in the cinema. Enjoy it. That's the only option left to me at that point. So I start enjoying this film. I start enjoying it for just the excess of it, really. I start enjoying it for, you know what? The one time I'm going to sit in a theater and watch a little schoolgirl jump around a giant samurai with a Gatling gun, fine. The one time I'm going to watch a biplane fight a dragon over an army in a collapsing tower, fine. The one time I'm going to see a bunch of girls running around in a mech suit fighting Nazi zombies, fine. Right? I enjoy it for that. I enjoy it for that excess. It's a celebration of it. The story is followable. It's fine. You won't be looking for this movie at Oscar time. And I walked out of the movie knowing I only spent $7 and I was into it. Right? Here's where Jonathan should have stopped. You know what? I shouldn't have stopped. I go home and I write. I start putting my thoughts down on the Geekscape website, right? Which really aren't thoughts necessarily about the movie, not even thoughts about Zack Snyder. They're thoughts about the fact that we as geeks, when we see that a lion, and by a lion I mean like the collective like criticism of the, of the internet, has downed a fawn that we've been waiting to eat, we jump on it, right? The nerds could not wait to trash this movie. This is the guy who's going to do Superman. This is the guy who took Watchmen from us. This is the guy who took Owls of Gahul from us. This is the guy, I mean, the vitriol that was coming out of our community was silly. And I said, listen, the movie's fine. Zack Snyder's fine. Seems like a nice guy. Sure, people say he's bossy. He's a director. He should be telling people what to do. It felt a bit excessive and embarrassing. And so I write this little thing, saying, listen guys, we can't say we, we, we hate Zack Snyder for giving us substandard stuff when, and I do like Guillermo del Toro, but tell me that those Hellboy movies were perfect. <laughs> they weren't. The studio was, one studio didn't want to make a sequel, so another studio makes a sequel and then ends up figuring out why the first studio didn't want to make a sequel. None of them, I mean, I, and I'm just using Guillermo del Toro as an example. I don't think he's made movies, well his foreign language films I think are spotless, but do you get what I'm saying here? I think that there's a double standard with geeks and is in, 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 in the introduction of my discussion was basically where does it come from? Does it come from our own lack of motivation in entering the discussion with our own creativity? Does it come out of not wanting to expand what we enjoy into the popular space because then it wouldn't be ours anymore, it wouldn't be the warm blanket. Does it come from the fact that Zack Snyder just doesn't look like most of us, but Guillermo del Toro does? <laughs> is that why we like Peter Jackson? But then Sam Raimi's a pretty handsome guy. I mean, I don't know what it is, guys. And so, in writing that article, which <laughs> pissed a lot of people off, but also a lot of people liked, it's an introduction discussion. It's an introduction of, like, what are we? And we've been sitting here for decades, okay? And I use the example of 1986 in comics. People laud 1986 in comics. Watchmen, Dark Knight, Daredevil, uh, Miracle Man, whatever you guys want to talk about. You can pretty much list the memorable books on two hands. Those are not the only books, and Dave will tell you, published in 1986. So what are we celebrating here? Are we celebrating mediocrity? Because really, look at some of the entertainment we're, we're, we're celebrating, and I know. I've made some mediocre, mediocre stuff as a creator. Making stuff is hard. <laughs> you know, it takes collaboration, it takes intelligence, it takes motivation, it takes financing. It's hard. So why are we so quick to shit on people? I'm not saying be cool with, mo me with mediocrity, I'm saying be part of the discussion, right? If sports radio is losers talking about winners, let's not be those losers, right? Because everybody else is accusing us of being that. Let's not be okay with that. Let's be something more. I see a million talented people on the web. I see a million talented people in our audience. Let's do something with it. Does that make sense, Brian? Does that, does that make sense? I know there are holes in my argument. I know it's malformed. I know there are things that, like, even I'm a hypocrite. Makes sense. What you're saying makes sense. One person said something that I kind of agree with. And you're yeah, picking, and that's fine. You're just picking the wrong movie 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, hard. absolutely. And you know, and you know, yeah. And I know it's not. About I know the movie's not great, and I've I said it's, it's not, not about, about the movie. movie. And that's, that's and you know, I've had these feelings for months. Right, right, and I know that's the thing. Like we do have a tendency to want to shit on these things, and we have a tendency to we, settle. Yeah, like we'll stand in line for it for five hours at Comic Con, and we'll give a standing ovation about it. And the director will see that and go, they're into this. Yeah. They love this. I'm going to give them more of this. This is what they want. Awesome. I'm still in post-production for this. I can give them tons of this. Right. And then you, they release the movie, and that line of people that was there for Comic-Con will go, what the fuck is this? Right. It's exactly what he showed you. Why are you suddenly questioning we've, it now? And we've told Zack Snyder that this is what we're into. We've told him Iron we're Man into fucking is, shit. Is, Does that make sense? Be a better yeah. example. Yeah. Iron Man 2 is... Iron Man 2 is pretty much more the same. It's exactly what everybody said they wanted. Everybody said, they're like, I want the introduction of more Avengers. I want more uh, Nick Fury. I want to see Black Widow. Everybody's like, oh. yes, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. That's what they give them. <laughs> and it dilutes the movie. And then everybody goes, yeah. right, but well, this isn't about what, 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 one what other does. point, though, too, is that, like I was saying before we were on about how you like night, a, little a couple friend? of days ago, <laughs> yeah, a couple of days ago, you know, I was David Hayter and I were at this, as guest speakers of the same. And uh, and people, all these writers were, were like, you know, just bashing, you know, the stuff and superhero movies and blah, blah, blah. It's hard to make. And he was like, well, here's the problem. Opening weekend, every fan goes, what pays their money, then writes, I hated it, you know? So, like, if you really want the movies to be better, then you can't go see them. Because, like, you know, even Daredevil made money. Yeah, you know? Daredevil. Uh, that's that's like one, one of the problems. It's Valentine's kind of off, weekend, off from what you're saying a little bit. I remember but, Daredevil. But you, you can't pay to go to a movie and then talk about how much you hate it and then wonder why people keep making ones, not caring about how good they are. I know your other point is totally true about the. It does seem like the bar is lower for certain people. It seems to me that that Zack Snyder is becoming the new. And this is not anything on his quality, but he seems to be becoming the new Joel Schumacher. Right. Who, uh, like, to me, in the is it nineties at this point? Like Joel yeah. Schumacher, sort of was that same kind of. Joel Schumacher made Lost Boys, so you should be thinking. <laughs> right, right. I mean, if you look, if <laughs> you, you know look I mean? in his in his resume, there's movies that that people would be totally in love with. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look in Zack Snyder's resume, I, one of the problems too is that I think Three Hundred set this Commercial really high bar. bar. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, and again, the movie 300 is not that phenomenal. And I said in the article that to me it was the, his most narratively deficient, mainly because he stuck to right. the medium. Because, he stuck because to the comic book. Frank Miller. Which that's, is paced like a comic. That's Frank Miller's thing, though, too, is that that's something he doesn't seem to care about that much. Oh, you remember about the spirit? You didn't see the that... spirit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Frank Miller doesn't seem to care about pacing. As Sit through the spirit and see if that's the guy you want to follow off a cliff. Sit through the spirit, see if that's right. the guy and you want to follow off a cliff. And even what David Hayter was saying was the reason that he got Watchmen mm -hmm. was because they wanted that essence of Frank Miller, <laughs> in a way, in the Watchmen. And I think Frank Miller is talented, but is that his medium? We're talking about mediums that are completely paced differently, right? I started writing comics this year. It's very hard. Yeah, RoboCop three was. There. I mean, <laughs> but RoboCop. See, how but, dare you, Fred? Uh, Fred, what's his name? Is a friend of the show. How dare you? But the director. But, but <laughs> he did hearing, Monster Squad. Hearing people's he stories. He wrote, no, he just wrote, wrote the script. Three. It was directed by uh, the guy who did Monster Squad and uh, the Night of the Creeps. Uh, about, Fred Decker. <laughs> about how much the story could change from the script that's written. Like at, at Radical. I mean, I'm not trying to bring it back. To no, Radical, it's good. It's we good. have this guy John Heffernan who wrote Driver for the Dead. It's an incredible. Driver for the Dead. Yeah, Driver for the Dead. Leonardo Manco did the art. It's a. It's like a simple story I shouldn't say simple it's a really cool story about a guy who's like a driver of a hearse and he drives like dead people who are kind of like high priority dead people so this guy who was like it's in New Orleans you know mm -hmm. like set among the voodoo and and there's this 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 healer uh, who dies like trying to save this boy's life and uh, and this guy Alabaster Graves is his name he has to drive the body of Freeman from one place to another in Louisiana and uh, the writer of it is John Heffernan who wrote Snakes on a Plane, right? Yeah, and whenever yeah. we, 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 we say, written by John Heffern and Snakes on a Plane. Now, if you read this, if you, I'll even bring you copies of okay. it, because everyone who reads it loves it. And now, it's funny, the book originally didn't sell that well, uh, and now we're going to be putting out the trade at some point soon, the collection. 
Or the graphic <laughs> With novel. With gold printing. It's not the graphic novel. because Yeah, because trade paperbacks <laughs> don't exist anymore, I guess. You know, Watchmen's a trade paperback. Hate to break it to you. And I'm like, uh, right. uh, people are asking for it, which I think is really cool, because to me it was one of the best written books we had. Um, but Snakes on a Plane... Whatever the original script was, obviously, was something that people loved. Everyone who read it talked about how much they liked this thing. <laughs> obviously, the film that came out is not a good version of what the script was, you know? You can't... No writer, unless you're directing it, has control over how the film's going to go. Right. So even a script you write, like Robocop 3, might have been a phenomenal script for all we know. But somehow this, this filmmaking process, you don't know what you're going to get at the end of it. And, and very few times is the writer brought into the process in any way that means anything. You know, just like, like creating comics and, and turning them into, you know, TV shows. Witchblade, um, you know, people don't have to tell me, you know, it was the best thing on TV. We will. You know? <laughs> we will. I mean, there was a lot of hands. She was in Hard Target, so I like it. Yes, and yeah. Vertical... Limit. Was it Vertical Limit? Was it the one with the skydiving? Something about jumping out of planes, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people tinkered with that thing to mess it up. And I think along the way that happens a lot. You know, people just tinker. There are a lot of people. I mean, that's why I'm impressed by Walking Dead, really. Because Walking Dead, you may have your issues with it, but Kirkman has to be saluted by comic creators because he ended up in the perfect position as someone who creates a comic because Frank Darabont took a liking to it and realized, and this doesn't happen too often, realize that I want the creator to be involved because he knows better than anybody how it should be. It's, I think maybe it's your closest chance to keeping that tone, sincerity, through line of intent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because, because in the collaborative medium, you're taking, just in the process of putting shots together, making a shot list, collaborating with the DP, collaborating with the gaffers, everybody. It's going to become something fairly piecemeal, and the way and you, yeah, the way you shoot it, scene you're by scene, to get out a of order. Cohesiveness out of this. You're trying to make a cohesive story that has a through line of a, a emotional through line, narrative through line, intellectual through line, and you've been shooting it in pieces. Uh -oh. It's crazy. Do I look intensely psychotic you on this episode, you Walton? Look really crazy. I had to look because you're like right into the camera. Walton. Sometimes I just want a quick geekscape. These people. Piss me <laughs> off, and you guys know it. You know you piss me off, but I can't. I love you too much. I'm like a strict parent. I'm becoming the parent who is just talking like this out of love. I want to see more out of you guys. I want to see understanding, acceptance, and then I want to see action. Does that make sense, Dave? Is that too much to ask? I've given you guys 204 free episodes and a website for four years. Please. Well, now what action? Do you want them to all be creative themselves? You hear these kids. Oh, I always wanted to write. I wanted to do this. I want to do that. Oh, talk, 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 talk. Let's not become sports radio enthusiasts who are losers talking about winners. Let's not sit on the sideline and talk about the people playing in the game. Let's not be Texas football dads. Let's not be Texas football dads. I went to school in Texas. Speaking of graduating in high school, I graduated with Drew Brees. I saw his games. Did that make me want to play football? No, but it did make me want to go do things. Success was accessible. It was accessible to me. It was accessible to me. And I think if you have two hands and a brain, it should be accessible to you. Yeah. Actually, I was All thinking right? about that on the way in today. Just how everybody... Like big stars, you know. I was like looking at. I, I know what it was. They're still huge. I was driving by uh, Kim Kardashian. They have these giant like display of this new Skechers she thing <laughs> by, by the uh, by the the bridge. And um and I was just thinking. I mean, she's a weird example because she was in a family that a mm -hmm. guy, her dad, was famous for being a lawyer. I guess. Yes. Um, but like most people, you know, are just regular people until they make it. Until they write. They force themselves to write something that gets them on the map. You know, you're not part of the conversation until you enter the conversation. Right. Does that make sense, guys? Like, I, like we can beat it all, all on it all, all I want, but like all I want, we'll beat it at all I want. We can beat it on all we want. We can keep talking about it on the on the website, but um, if other people are thinking that we're pathetic, geeks, nerds, losers, let's 
let's take an in inward glance and see where that's coming from. But that's not to say Does that people make sense? are entitled to their opinion. That's I know, right. I know, I know. And, and I think people are miscommunicating. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. I'm, You're I, totally entitled to your opinion. And that we've had that conversation because here's the thing. You never once jumped on me for not liking Sucker Punch. That's well, the big thing. I thought it was a little wussy that you jump on a woman's suffrage movement. No, no. For a movie. Here's I was the like, come no, on. He's like, he's like, the girls were mistreated in this film. I was like, look at the guys. They're a bunch of rapists. That's not what I said. What I said was, I have it was a hard time going from the opening scenes are child abuse and attempted rape and a death. And then sexualization followed right and thereafter. And then immediately yeah. we see her in these sexy outfits. In what, the what's kitchen, your there's a scene in the I'm kitchen kidding, where kidding. a girl's about to be raped. She has to put a knife to his throat to stop the rape. There's an attempted rape. They immediately turn around and they go to an erotic dancing class. And, and this whole It's very time, German, isn't it? And Violence I'm, and then dance. I'm just having... <laughs> it's very German. I'm, yes, I'm you're just, right. The entire time, it, that's my big problem. Right. It, it, and I also made this huge mistake of reading an interview with the cast before going to see it where they're all talking about how this movie's about empowerment. It's about a great thing. And I don't want to ruin <laughs> And you're like, no, it's about exploitation. Yeah, it is. It's about exploitation. And I don't... My, my big reaction is, the marketing push on this is it's about women empowerment. Mm. This movie isn't about women empowerment. To you. Maybe, Do you understand why I say to you? Okay. If, I mean, if the girl, if the ending hadn't been what it was, mm. maybe, well, maybe one girl, it's about women empowerment and how many of them died. Do you think it's metaphorical that a girl gets on a bus and moves on and like does I, like she gets on a bus because a man lets her? I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. She gets on a I bus because a man. And I don't want to ruin stuff. I don't want to ruin it. Um, <laughs> I would rather watch rewatch all the seasons of Buffy than ever have to watch Sucker Punch again. Oh, because you're not going to do that anyway. <laughs> Actually, I have a <laughs> yeah, guys. Uh, in all honesty, I, I started thinking about Russ Meyer. When I was watching the movie and how it was a bit of a modern day Russ Meyer with mm. with, the, with like the the you know the the girl violence see the and things like that you know what I mean. But uh, Russ but I, Meyer's women made their choices independently. Well, it, 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 you know what I'm saying. It's like more yeah. co it's more complicated than this because structural narrative and things. Like, but but I think I, I think there's a blending of a lot of things. Does that make sense? I'm sure. And we, and we can pick them all out. Accused of that? Like it's Quentin Tarantino films. I mean, is he accused of that? No, because all of his women... I mean, his women are powerful. Yeah. To a certain the, extent. The thing is... But these women can, this woman can hypnotize people through dance. This girl is only powerful <laughs> in her mind, but when she gets out of the fantasy, she has to go back to being a sex slave. Dance. <laughs> that's dance. not exactly empowerment, I'd have to say. That's based not on... empowerment in any way. <laughs> Walton. That, oh, she's really strong in her fantasies, Walton. but Walton. when she comes out of it, she's still locked up. Walton. You don't have to argue their point. You know chicks don't watch this show. <laughs> I'm not arguing their point. I'm arguing hey. as a... No, this is from impress? What chick are you trying to impress? We should be rising up and actually expect... Like, what guy is going to walk out of Sucker Punch and, and respect women after that? The first Geekscape that photoshops Walton's face on a Rosie the Riveter gets a free t-shirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like... do. do do we really want... No, I promise. The first... I, I, no, I, I know what you're saying. Do, yes. do you see what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's a mixed bag, and I think a mixed bag is kind of what makes it less and successful. And unfortunately, yeah. here's the thing. Those... I really thought... The, the scenes that you're pointing out, that that's what made the movie for you, and that's why you kind of liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I actually really Have no problem with it, too. Yeah. Problem is, we kept having to go back to that <laughs> shit. Now, this goes back to another problem, which yes, is sir. actually the opposite problem of talking about how people shoot movies out of order and mm -hmm. put it together and don't know whether they're good or not. This is sort of, to me, kind of the equivalent of George Lucas' Star Wars, the last three Star Wars movies, yeah. which is kind of an auteur uh, syndrome, you know? Yeah. Which is, like, uh, unlike Quentin Tarantino, who does put it all together, and you could always, uh, arguably, to me, I, I love, like, everything that he's done when he's gotten full control. Mm -hmm. Some people aren't good with full control yeah. and do need someone to say, you know, this movie's problematic. You might want to change some stuff. You have creators like that? Rick Romander's a dick? Is that what you just said? No, he's great. I'm kidding. <laughs> as long as it's done, you know, right. the way he visualizes it. But, no, I mean, one of the things uh, Radical appeals to creators, I think I said that sentence out of order, Radical appeals to creators because we do let people do their vision, but at the same time, I mean, my job is to say, hey, I don't think this works. But I think it. that in yeah. Sucker Punch, as far as I can tell, I didn't see it. Yes, sir. No offense. No, no. Uh, it seems like no one said to him, hey, there are some problems with this. You might want to make some changes. Just like in Star Wars, no one said to him, hey, you know, 
there's no heart in this film. You know, right. figure it out. And I think that happens a lot with, and I'm sure to Zack Snyder, you know, he came off of Watchmen. And, um, and they were like, okay, you know, we really want to work with you so badly. I mean, I don't know the history of Sucker Punch, but I only imagine that, because all these guys have these projects, you know, that were their... a really good relationship that with their, Legendary. Yeah. But th th that I'm sure this is his pet project from a long time ago. He may have always wanted he to actually, do it. No one ever let him do was it. That, well, this was his next project after 300, but um, Watchmen came up, so uh, he put it on a back burner. He's probably been wanting to do this movie since he was... Us. But before 300, you know I bet mean? no studio would have let him do it. Sure. Yeah. Because sure. for some reason, the studio at that point was probably like, this doesn't make much yeah. sense. Oh. We don't really want to do it. I don't know how a person Dawn gets to that dead, position of power. And 300 was done cheaply. They were in a Toronto. And I liked Dawn of the Dead. Screen I love Dawn of the Dead. I thought he great. Uh, well, I don't know. Let's, let's make this very clear as well. I'm not in any way saying I'm never going to watch a Zack Snyder movie. This particular movie is flawed. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I very, a lot of people though are giving me very valid reasons why they do, yeah. and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Although I gotta say, he's not saying he liked it. He's well, saying I, he I'm, tolerated I'm saying, it. I'm saying, I, I'm saying I, I like parts of it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I will, I will never watch the movie again because I you're don't, more defending I don't watch it. A lot of movies. You're more again. defending it than saying yeah. you like but it. Yeah, is, I think you're right. No, I but think you're right. Unlike a lot of geeks out there, and this is kind of the same problem. This is the problem I'm having. Maybe the same problem you're having. I don't like that this movie is what geeks are using as their excuse to hate on other movies he's made. I like... Right, that's not fair. I like Legends of Google. It, uh, I like the Guard, Legends of the Guardian. I'm not going to let my yeah, dislike of Sucker Punch... That's the owl movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm one of the few people that like that. Thing. <laughs> I'm not going to let... Owl. Dude, it's so cute. So adorable. It's a cute movie. He was there. He did this to me. I almost had to leave the theater. It was so sad. <laughs> um, it, it, I can't... I can't stomach people using this as an excuse to shit on his entire career. He made solid movies. And he's going to make a decent Superman. And to me, Watchmen wasn't bad. It's what makes us jackals and not lions. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Totally. It, it makes us... We, it, and lions have tools. Lions have strength. They have critical thought. They have... Uh, well, uh, maybe I'm not a lion I'm either. I'm just a fucking like, geese. If I were to run into him at a comic convention, I would go, dude... Legends of the Guardians, love it. Believe me, ninety nine percent of the people that trashed him would would be oh, like, yes. oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, guys. Uh, we we talk about out of sequence. Can I? How, how are we doing on time? We've just been talking. Oh, uh, we got about ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let me spend those ten minutes real quick. Uh, when I was in Austin, I got a chance to talk to uh, Duncan Jones, Jake Gyllenhaal, some of the actors, and uh, the writer behind uh, Source Code, which opens this coming weekend. I'm gonna play that real quick. Settle down. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, we'll have a, a review probably up on the website. I thought the movie was really good. If you guys love Moon, which was Duncan Jones's first film, I really like Moon. This movie is pretty damn good too. It's a thinking man science fiction movie. You guys should know what it's about. But let me just cut to those interviews real quick, and we'll come right back and wrap things up with David. Cool. Uh, Jake, a movie like this, how do you keep your character consistent with the storyline, jumping around with the science fiction elements? Well, Duncan Jones shot the whole movie and a lot of the movie in sequence. So, um, particularly the train stuff, he shot in sequence. And that gave me a great opportunity to sort of figure out where I was and what was going on in the storyline. But, you know, part of it is that he's totally confused through a lot of it. So, whenever I was confused, I used it, yeah, I used it to my advantage. So, you know, there was, I had great faith in, in Duncan and, and um, in how he was sculpturing, uh, sort of structuring the story. And then I also... I just knew Don't worry, my name's Jake too. They're, it's me. It's a, it's is a, it? You okay? Just tell, well, then take a picture with him. Know, right? um, the, the, he, had, he had a real strong sort of sense of structure in the story, so I had faith in him. And then whatever confusion I had, you know, we were always, you know, there's a, it takes a lot of confidence for a director to say, this is a story about um, a man who wakes up in another man's body and has to figure out how a train exploded. And... <laughs> And to let an actor improv. Did you reach out to Scott Bakula at any point for advice, maybe? Good question, no. At what point does it get tiring to just stare at Jake Gyllenhaal all day? Uh, none. At all. At all, at all, at all. No, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy, and he's, he's fun to work with. He's just, he's a lovely person. He's really great. But in the movie, you, were, you uh, redo the same eight minutes over and over again. At what point does it get tiring wearing the same outfit over and over again? Yeah, it gets a little exhausting. Yeah, it's like I was kind of bored with it, to be honest, Danny. And thank God it was comfortable. Exactly. That was the one, that was our main goal. So, you know, I'm going to be wearing it every day. Let's just make it comfortable. 
And as an actress, what are the challenges in keeping everything uh, honest for yourself, even though you're replaying the same material, uh, the same scenarios over and over again? You know, I think that was one of the things that most intrigued me about this script was uh, was that it was an opportunity for an actor to really do things really subtly and uh, really. Um, but yet make it really, really engaging. And that was a really fun partnership that I had with Jake because we worked on it a lot and we wanted to make sure we knew what our intention was and what we wanted to do tonally for each different source code um, because otherwise it was going to be watching the same movie and over and over again. And, and Duncan was great with that. Uh, you know, and now I think we've got a, a little a little movie that with each source code you kind of put a piece of the puzzle in and it's really fun for the audience. With a script with so many subtly moving parts, how diligent is your writing process in putting something like this together? Well, uh, it drove me insane. Uh, I made a zillion different charts and, and like graphs and tried to keep it all straight. Um, so it's a very diligent writing process, but I had a very diligent director who protected that and didn't turn it into a mess. So I think it holds together really well. And he had a ton of respect for the integrity of the continuity of the story. So I was lucky in that respect. Was it difficult putting trust so that an audience would be able to follow the subtleties enough without just something this complicated just giving it to them? What, were some, what was the tightrope back that you walked? It was a huge tightrope because you always are told, oh, you have to explain everything, explain it all to death. But I'll tell you, once I started taking the science out, and the explanations out of the script, the weirdest thing is people started believing it. It left room for the sincerity of the characters, is that right? Exactly, and, and I really believe the audience is a lot smarter than people get them credit for. And hopefully people want to be challenged a little bit, and they want to be tricked a little bit, and maybe we don't explain everything to you in the end. And that's it. What was the most exciting part about putting this movie together? Uh, Duncan Jones is exciting. Duncan Jones as a filmmaker is uh, is exciting. He's new, he's bold, visionary. I think he's exciting. He wasn't afraid to put somebody with your talents in a box and ask you to work in isolation. What was the toughest part of being in a movie where you're isolated from some of your other performers? I think that was the challenge of the role, um, is to sit in a swivel chair and the only freedom you have is to swivel left or swivel right. And, um, and it's pretty confining and, and also uh, to look sort of in the barrel of the camera in the lens and do most of your acting that way and, and pretend to be talking to Jake Gyllenhaal's character. But So that, that, that was pretty challenging. And the, at the same time, you've got this narrative that keeps a ton of plates spinning at the same time. Uh, how did you pace it? Did you guys shoot in sequence? Did you guys shoot out of sequence? Oh, no, no. We didn't have the luxury of sequence. I think, I think he strived for it, but... But uh, and we, I think we probably started that way, but, but then, well, you can do that mostly. If, if, it, if, if a film is shot in studio like ours, my portion was, then, then you, can't, you have the luxury of that. But, but uh, I can't remember, to be honest with you. It was, I was in my first, I was, I was experiencing major nausea of first trimester pregnancy when I shot this. So I remember that feeling. <laughs> Coming from a uh, movie that you had like two characters in it and fixed settings, how was it juggling multiple characters, multiple settings, and still with a back and forth timeline? Um, that's true. Um, I think, you know, I, I was incredibly fortunate on, on my first film, Moon, to work with Sam Rockwell, who's an actor I admired hugely. And then my second film, I get to jump into a film working with Jake Gyllenhaal, who I also admire hugely. So um, it's been win-win for me. You know, I've, I've gone, uh, I'm working with, uh, with uh, Vera Farmiga, Michelle Monaghan, Jeffrey Wright, really talented actors who are not only talented in their own right, but they're incredibly brave. And I think for a director, that means a lot because I can have complete faith that they have a plan on how they want to do things, but I also know that they have the bravery to let me make suggestions and to actually try things that, that they may not have thought of. And that was a, a real privilege to work with actors like that. Now, how do you uh, balance screenwriting with your Twitter addiction? <laughs> well, that's a tricky one. You retweeted me last week and I was like, okay, well, great. <laughs> this guy is obviously an addict. I, I am an addict. I, I started in, in, in when I was trying to promote Moon and, and I started making real friends on Twitter and, and keeping in contact with them and I just never stopped. It's, it actually works okay because whenever I get frustrated or whenever I just need to clean my head, clear my head, um, if, I'm, if I'm in the middle of writing, I do go to Twitter or I watch some, some news and, and that just kind of resets me and then I can come back and look at something. I'm also blessed with a goldfish memory. So as soon as I get away from the writing and come back to it, all, it all seems new to me.
So guys, that was the interviews from Austin with the uh, creators, actors of Source Code, a uh, movie that I thought was really cool. You guys should come out, go out and see that movie this weekend, I think. Good so. question. No. <laughs> Good question. No. I had to ask him because it's so Scott Bakula-like. Oh. For people, there are probably people who haven't gone back and seen it. They probably have no idea what you're yeah. asking. I'm not the best interviewer, guys. Come just, on. Like, I'm not that great at anything. At least anything. tell them now. Like, like, I'm not I, good at anything, um, but I just do it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I've gotten so far, I've gotten far enough on, like, just doing something and not being good at anything. I'm just glad he got the reference, though. Oh, he totally like, got the reference. Who doesn't know Scott Bakula? And he seems like a big fan. Like of, of For those who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Quantum Leap. Yeah, we're talking about uh, Quantum Leap. But <laughs> just in case. Guys, um, let's do uh, a little bit of news real quick. Uh, the Captain America trailer, I saw it before uh, this this uh, Sucker Punch. Anybody who's saying that there's a problem with bobblehead ca- like Steve Rogers, you see the Captain America trailer mm-hmm. came out? Guys, this fucking trailer is awesome. Yeah, it is, it's totally cool. I don't know what you're talking That's about. That's the first trailer that I actually liked uh, for Captain America. Dude. I, I suddenly want to see it. And this bobblehead Steve Rogers that you're worrying about because his head's big, but his body's small. He looks like half the KCA audience. What the fuck is the problem? It looks awesome. It looks Benjamin Button level good. It looks believable. I've seen people with big heads. It's fine. I have a big <laughs> head. Um, you should definitely check out the Geekscape website because we have tons of news. It's always on there. By the time I'm saying this and you guys are hearing it, there's new news on the website. Among that is uh, Eric Diaz is always superb. Weekend Geek, where on Fridays he wraps up like a lot of the news that's been happening and puts his thoughts into it. Al- among that is that the Dune, Dune relaunch has, st- has been stalled. You remember um, Peter Berg was going to do it, then he d- went over to do Battleship for Universal. Uh, the guy who did Taken was going to do it, and now it looks like the rights have relapsed. But speaking of rights, it looks like Warren Beatty has gotten full rights to Duke Tracy. Did you see that? I was reading about that last night. Maybe he can get their director's cut of Dick Tracy going. I like Dick Tracy a lot. It was one of the color... It was like the first colorful comic book film. Yeah. Yeah. It was really vivid. Stylized. It was cool. There's so many things he did right. Is there... Did he do like this interview thing? I was reading the thing how he had to... To keep the rights, he did this... Not sure. Something with him and Richard Roper. Like some kind of interview with Dick Tracy that was on TV... Just because he had to hold on to the rights, so he had to do something really quickly. I would like to see. I'd like to see the, that. I would like to see a director's <laughs> cut. I would like. I would like to see a, a nice Blu-ray. Do a nice TV Blu-ray. Show. You know, I totally would not mind seeing more Adventures of Dick Tracy. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be, it, you know. Um, video game news. Uh, the big thing, of course, this week was the 3DS. Uh, I would have definitely gone out and bought a 3DS this weekend. But there's just not enough games for it right now. There are no games that I, I would have felt like I needed to buy a game because I got the system. I would need to just buy a game to try it out. And there's really nothing that I felt like playing. It seems like now. it's going to be after Christmas until uh, the games, until the real games come out. There aren't going to be any systems. Yeah, and, then, and now, now I'm risking that the systems will all be sold out <laughs> yeah. when they're games. We'll see what E3 looks like. We're definitely going to cover E3. Uh, we'll, hopefully Nintendo announces... Like an original Zelda, or when you know their entire release lineup. The original Zelda in 3D. Well, the, the uh, Ocarina uh, of Time uh, is uh, the unor- one they're doing Unoriginal first. Zelda. Oh. I would like to see an original Zelda. I'd like to see a release, a new release date for uh, Skyward Sword, but um, Ocarina of Time is going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to replay that game. Um, we'll just see what happens. But the convention that we've got staring us in the face is this coming weekend's WonderCon. Geekscape is going to be on the floor. If you're listening to this and can make it to San Francisco. We're booth 617 on the floor. We've got a nice little corner booth close to Arkea. And what I'm very excited about, Mr. Toast. <laughs> I love Mr. Toast. He's a little cartoon guy. He does a little artwork with, like, vegetables with eyes and stuff. He's a cool <laughs> little cartoonist. And I wanted to get some Mr. Toast stuff for our kitchen. But um, we're going to be there. And we're already signing up uh, people to sign at the booth. We've got uh, Brea Grant. Brea Grant and her brother um, Zane. Uh, they have a comic book that's being put out by IDW, right? IDW, it's a, it's a, we Will Bury You. We Will Bury You. Yeah, and it's, it's like a zombie, zombie book. book set in the 1920s. They're going to be signing on Friday. Friday 1 to 2. Um, I'm talking to IFC Films. I, you know how much I love Super. And you should definitely see Super coming up this weekend. I think Super is an incredible, incredible film. Uh, we're gonna have. We've been talking to IFC about possibly doing some promotion on Super that weekend. Maybe getting James Gunn and or Rain Wilson to the booth on Saturday to come say hi to you guys for a bit. Um, the interviews we have lined up. Are we got interviews. interviews lined up. We're gonna be talking to all sorts of people. We, we don't want to ruin the surprises because we want you to come back to the show. But if you're in San Francisco, come by the booth. You gonna be in San Francisco, Dave? I'm gonna make it. 
You come make it. Does Radical have a booth? No. You guys should send a, a, some stuff with us, and we'll throw it out at the booth. That's not a bad idea. Well, we're doing it. We're hopefully doing it for IFC. I wish Free Comic Book Day was before. We have a new Free Comic Book Day book, Jake the Dreaming, which is our first like young adult. Uh, it's an illustrated novel. Mm-hmm. Um, which is we're really going to be doing a lot more of those in the next couple of years. But for free comic book day, we're actually giving out one of those instead of a That's regular cool. comic. I mean, it's still in a comic form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish we could hand a whole bunch out up there, but we got to wait till. Really, free comic what, book what day. you guys got? Yeah, let me. I'll let talk me to know. our guy on Monday about it. Okay, that'd be cool. We're gonna we have to a, put somebody on the spot. Like, is that cool? No, no, <laughs> guys. Hey, hey, two hundred and four episodes. You know how to work it. All right, two hundred and four <laughs> episodes. You know how to put somebody on. Remember when I asked? At least asked, you didn't sexually hey, assault him hey, with a bear. Hey. We still got, what, three minutes left? Just, you just wait. You just wait. Um, <laughs> look for us at WonderCon. Um, I'm going to be giving out prints of the front cover of Super Action Band, the comic that I have coming out in July at our San Diego booth. Ooh. We're going to have the front page uh, artwork that Tony Rodriguez did for our comic. He's good. And uh, I am so excited. I may have signed some, although I feel I, I feel I haven't arrived yet enough to do the signature thing. No, but you, you... You have like, what do you, want to. Okay, I don't know. I should yeah. sign it. So People are going to ask you for sure. Uh, and then we're going to have the limited edition, uh, limited edition, limited edition Geekscape print of the uh, "We Will Bury You" for. And that's what Bray and Bray uh, and her Bray and her brother are going to be signing that. Okay, so guys, we're, we're going to have free shit. We're all going to have T-shirts. We're going to have some ZombieCon stuff for you guys. That's this coming weekend in San Francisco. ZombieCon. Uh, ZombieCon is a convention we sponsor in October. It's a full-on zombie convention. If you oh. guys have any zombie properties Where you guys it? want to promote, it's in Seattle. It's in Seattle this year yeah. and probably San Francisco next. David? If we do our FEDA book, maybe we could do These it. episodes need to be like nine hours long. Because as <laughs> geeks, we keep the discussion going. Uh, welcome you guys to keep the discussion going on geekscape.net. Buy a shirt, talk to Geekscapist. Uh, go ahead and troll and just like slam me for my, my articles. Do it to the other writers, too. We're also on Facebook. Twitter, YouTube, search for Geekscape. What you got, Walton? Where's Radical Publishing? Yes, that is what we want to know. Radical Publishing. What's going on here? Uh, Radicalpublishing.com. And then, or at Radical Publishing. It's pretty much in the name. Also, I had to mention, uh, you asked me about what I write before. Mm -hmm. I did this Executive Assistant Iris book that I wrote for Aspen. They're doing a big Executive Assistant crossover over the summer. Uh, with uh, another Iris book It should be very cool And I think our trade paperback Our graphic novel yes. Of Executive Assistant Iris Is going to be coming out Over the next couple of weeks as well Which people should be sure to check out well, Any fan yeah. of Witchblade or Alfred 89 Or uh, the books that I used to write Will like it So uh, maybe if they want to bring those books By the booth at some point Maybe when you're Yes for sure We'll also have that Geekscape booth in San Diego um, David thanks for coming on the show man. Oh thank you it was Anytime very fun. you want to promote anything The site is here for you The show is here for you you know where we are. Thank you. I, I, there was a lot more people I wanted to bash and talk about, so maybe next time. <laughs> oh, you'll be back. <laughs>